0: counsel in the lawsuit that restored democracy to pacifica in 2001 dan siegel urges
1: kpfa listeners to support efforts to restore democratic diverse leadership to the station and the network and you are listening to 94.1 kpfa in berkeley 89.3 kpfb in berkeley 88.1 kfcf in fresno and online at kpfa.org the time is 3 p.m stay tuned next for cover to cover open book Good afternoon and welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. This afternoon, we bring you part one of a series called Plain Speaking, a counter-history of the United States that was produced in 1976 here at KPFA in Berkeley. Created four years before Howard Zinn's seminal work, A People's History of the United States, Plain Speaking presents an alternative history to traditional American history, taught in public schools. This series traces the nation's history from the arrival of Christopher Columbus through the various social movements of our first 200 years, giving voice to the many unheralded people who fought fought for equality and justice and who helped facilitate change so we could all prosper. The following includes Warren Van Orden, reading from Hans Cohen's Columbus, his Enterprise, I Discovered America in nineteen forty-nine by Serafine Melee Sequoia and Langston Hughes Black Like Me, read by Ruby D, and Leo Herberman's We the People, read by Warren Van Orden. Stay tuned.
2: Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, Director of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and welcome to From the Vault our weekly series that brings our history out of the vault and onto the radio. In 1980, Howard Zinn changed the way United States... history History was perceived and taught in the American schools when he published the first edition of his seminal and best selling book, A People's History of the United States. This was the first comprehensive alternative to standard American history textbooks taught in schools and universities throughout the country. Before Howard Zinn's People's History Project, it was left mostly up to each of us to uncover, research, or divine without a divining rod, the conveniently omitted history on our own. Pacifica Radio Station KPFA in Berkeley, California, did its part by producing and presenting an alternative American history in the summer of 1976, when it aired the ten-part series called Plain Speaking, A Counter-History of the United States. This series traces American history from the arrival of Columbus through the various social movements of our first 200 years. The series also gives voice to the many unheralded people who fought for equality and justice and who helped facilitate change so that all could prosper. Here is producer Anita Frankel to introduce part one of the series.
0: Christopher Columbus has been credited with discovering America, but he didn't. Millions of Native Americans peopled our continent for millennia before he arrived, reduced in numbers now because of the Spanish, the Portuguese, the French, and the English conquests, and continued genocide throughout the last 200 years. Today you're going to hear some plain speaking in words and in the special language of music, some plain speaking about the history of the portion of America in which we live, the United States of North America. You'll be hearing the voices of poets, the voices of fighters, the voices of men and women playing the parts of other poets and fighters, poets and fighters struggling for a different kind of United States of America, one which recognizes within its geography many nations, One in which people live in freedom, cooperating with each other to share the land and the fruits of their labor. This then is our tribute to the people within our borders. Our tribute to the other history of the United States. The history which the school books have ignored or distorted beyond recognition. We dedicate plain speaking to all red, white, black, yellow and brown working people within the borders of the United States to the Native Americans who are struggling to recover their nationhood and redefine what borders are all about, and to the people of Puerto Rico, who despite talk of permanent union and statehood for their island, live in a colonial misery and are beginning to raise for themselves, loud and clear, the cry for independence.
3: So they say Columbus was the first European to set foot on America. No, not even that, for the Vikings may have come first. And all this European is a polite way of saying white men. Columbus was the first European to put America on the map. And that he did literally. He put it on the map of the world, for only the white race was at that time systematically trying to map the world. We have to add to that that Columbus put America in the wrong place, insisting to his dying day that it was part of Asia. Still, he did it, and it is quite a claim. If he hadn't, someone else would have soon enough. But the world is full of such ifs. He was the first, and it is one of the juiciest firsts on mankind's calendar. The traditional story that everyone, or almost everyone in those days, thought the earth was flat, and that they all laughed at Columbus, who said it was round, is nonsense. It's also a painful distortion of history. The Greeks knew 500 years before Christ that the earth is a sphere. All this knowledge and much more got lost during the Dark Ages, roughly the period from 500 to 1200 A.D. But by Columbus's day, most of it had been restored to the West. Some had come back through the scholars of Constantinople, fleeing after the fall of their city. Some reached Spain and Portugal through the mediation of Arab scholars. In the 1480s, there was no educated man or woman who did not know the world was round. And so Columbus knew this and set off. When they did arrive in America, Columbus and the other two captains went ashore in an armed boat. And amidst a crowd of what would henceforth be called Indians, and with a royal scribe as witness, Columbus announced that he was taking possession of these lands for the king and queen of Castile. Although he assumed he was in the realm of the Japanese emperor. It's interesting to hear Columbus's own words about his impressions of the Indians. To win their friendship, he wrote, and realizing that here was a people to be converted to our holy faith by love and friendship and not by force, I give some of them red caps, glass beads, and many other little things. These pleased them very much, and they became very friendly. They later swam out to the ship's boats in which we were seated and brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spears and many other things, which they exchanged for the glass beads and hawk's bells. They willingly traded everything they owned, but they seemed to me a poor people. There another place in the log as if to reassure his sovereigns. Columbus tells them that all the gifts he made to one particular man, a red cap, a string of glass beads, and two hawk bells were together worth less than three cents. Anyway, Columbus did continue. Many men and women came, each bringing a gift and offering thanks to God. They threw themselves on the ground and, pointing at the sky, called us ashore. I went to view all this in the morning, to give an account to your Majesties, and to see where a fort could be built. I saw a kind of peninsula with six huts. It could be made into an island in two days, though I feel no need to do this, for these people are totally unskilled in arms, as your Majesties will learn from seven whom I had captured and taken aboard to learn our language and to take them to Spain. But should your majesties command it, all the inhabitants could be taken away to Castile or made slaves on the island. With fifty men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. The words of Christopher Columbus. However, these Indians were destined not even to live as slaves, they were to die.
2: That was a selection from Hans Koning's Columbus, His Enterprise, read by Warren Van Orden. Next we hear, I Discovered America in 1949, by Serafin Malay-Sequia.
4: Fresh off the General Gordon, I discovered America in 1949. A six-year-old alien who could only say, Hello, goodbye, thank you, and my name is Seraphin. We lived in a basement on Divisidero Street where my grandmother kept her colony of immigrants together with adobo and rice, a commune of tangled tongues reciting rosaries to Father Flanagan on KRAP, first in the lineup at Cathedral Presentation, where the playground was a hill sloping down onto Turk. At Sacred Heart on Fillmore, I directed traffic using the wrong arm against the light, wearing my yellow cap, a badge of my limited power. Don't speak that foreign tongue, Mama. You're in America now. Make that medium rare and skip the rice. Pass the potatoes and a bit more mustard on the hot dog. Biting my tongue with spelling bees and the glories of looking so pale... That look, blinking at melting pots. Those salt and pepper cords brushing past church aisles. Confessions on Friday afternoon to an unseen face. Not even breathing. Giving me penances and special graces for running down the Ten Commandments. For telling him about my bad thoughts, my hard-ons, my missed Sundays at Star of the Sea. So, without color was I, all my... Friends then were color blind until the junior prom, until crock came and I wished I were somewhere else where it would have been a bit darker to relate to. From the visidero to the avenues, between Balboa and Anza, between Rasa and Asian, between adobo and beef steak, between Filipino and American. Split tongue, forked. That hyphen is too worn. Speak American, son. This is America. We are Americans. A 24-year refrain. Don't need flags or decals, salutes or uniforms. It should be in the years, in our living, in our dying. That should be enough. The General Gordon is scrap iron, a rusty memory, corridors, thinner. I discovered America in 1949, but didn't see snow till Tahoe.
3: To fling my arms wide in some place of the sun, to whirl and to dance till the white day is done, then rest at cool evening beneath a tall tree, while night comes on gently, dark like me, that is my dream, to fling my arms wide in the face of the sun, dance, whirl, whirl, till the quick day is done, rest at pale evening, a tall, slim tree, night coming tenderly, black like me.
0: We begin in 1692, the year in which, in Salem, Massachusetts, Puritan settlers, living for the moment in relative harmony with their Native American neighbors, were spending their time hunting for witches among the women of their village. It all started, say the history books, when a slave woman, half black, half Caribbean, began teaching some voodoo charms and spells to the wives of merchants and yeoman farmers. Tituba was her name. In 1692, under the guidance of preacher Cotton Mather, 20 women, ranging in age from 4 to 80, were hanged or drowned for their strange behavior. Another 130 were put in prison. The trial prosecutor took testimony from young girls who had been acting wildly, whatever that means. The girls pointed their finger at hundreds of their sisters, saying that they had been bewitched. Not all the women who were condemned went quietly to their deaths. We remember their courage today. It had started with the charms and the spells from the suppressed culture of a black woman slave. And it reminds us that the beauty and rage of suppressed people is as old as history itself. 1692, the trials of the women of Salem. Uh
5: Anna Martin was a witch who dwelt in Amesbury. With brilliant eye and salty tongue, she worked her sorcery. And as unto a judge's court, the sheriff brought her hither the drooped as she passed by and then were seen to wither. <laughs> Which was she, though trig and neat, with comely head held high? It did not seem that one as she with Satan so would vie. And when in court the afflicted ones proclaimed her evil ways, she laughed aloud and boldly then, Met Cotton mathers gaze Who oh, hath bewitched these maids, he asked And strong was her reply if they be dealing in black arts, you know as well as I. And now the stricken ones made a moan as she approached near. They saw her shape upon the beam, so none could doubt was there. Neighbors round swore to the truth OF HER SATANIC POWERS THAT SHE COULD FLY OR LAND AND STREAM AND COME DRY SHOD THROUGH SHOWERS AT NIGHT twas SAID SHE HAD APPEARED A CAT OF FEARSOME MEAN A SHE DEVIL THEY HAD CRIED TO KEEP THEIR SPIRITS CLEAN Spectral evidence was weighed. Then stern the parson spoke. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Tis written in the book. Susanna Martin, so accused, spake with flaming eyes. I scorn these things for they are not. But filthy gossips lies. Now those bewitched, they cried her out. Their voices loud did ring. They saw a bird above her head. An evil yellow thing And so Susanna Martin died Beneath the summer sky And still in scorn she faced the rope Her comely head held high
0: 75, whatever peace may have reigned between Native Americans in the Massachusetts Bay Colony and the English settlers was shattered by the beginning of a series of battles which continues today. The English settlers saw it as their right to take what land they thought they needed. They saw themselves as refugees from religious persecution in the Old World, not as conquerors looking to rape the New World as the Spanish and Portuguese were doing further south on the continent. To the Indians, it must have made little difference how the settlers saw themselves, but to the settlers, the loss of life on their side occupied their consciousnesses more. The roots of racism and the roots of war are intertwined in our history.
5: Oh, worthy Captain Lovewell came with fifty men from Dunstable. The cruel Pequot tribe to tame with arms and bloodshed terrible. And on their eighty engines rose who hid themselves in ambush dread. Their knives they shook, their guns they aimed, the famous Porgus at their head. What means this dance, this powwow dance, Stern Wyman said, this wondrous heart? He crept full near his musket aimed and shot the leader through the heart. Fight on, fight on, brave love well cried, fight on while heaven shall give you breath. An injun ball then pierced him through, and love well closed his eyes in death. Twas Porgus led the Pequot tribe, as runs the fox, would Porgus run? As howls the wild wolf, would he howl? A large bear skin had Porgus on. But Chamberlain of Dunstable, one whom a savage ne'er shall slay, met Paul by the waterside and shot him dead upon that day. The chaplain's name was Jonathan Fry, in Andover his father dwelt. And oft with Love Well's men he'd prayed before the mortal wound he felt A man was he of comely form, polished and brave, well learned and kind, and habits learned halls he'd left far in the wilds a grave to find. How many a wife does rend her hair, and many a child cries, woe is me. When messengers the news do bear of Lovewell's dear-bought victory.
0: Wounded Knee, the Richard Davis Trio featuring Joe Beck and Jack de <laughs> You're listening to Plain Speaking. We call the English settlers the colonists. Although they themselves were conquering and colonizing other people's land, they too were in colonial bondage to the English monarchy. The Revolution of 1776 was indeed a war of independence, with much bravery and many progressive aspirations for a democratic society. But there's more to that story, too, than the conventional schoolbooks tell us. In We the People, a book by Leo Huberman, the story we do know is supplemented by some things that many of us may not be aware of.
3: The British Empire in the 1700s was already a worldwide organization. Why did England engage in war after war with other countries in order to get more and more colonies? Of what value were colonies to her? What was the advantage in building a bigger and bigger empire? It was believed at the time by many people that countries were rich or poor according to the amount of gold and silver they had. One way of acquiring bullion was to be lucky enough to find new lands inhabited by Indians who knew where the mines were and who could be persuaded by force if necessary to give up what they had found. The Spaniards had tried that in South America with great success. But even the Indians couldn't locate mines every day, so a better, surer method had to be found. The answer to the problem seemed to lie in selling goods. So long as a country sold things, money would flow in. But England was not the only country that had figured that out. Spain, Holland, and France had thought of the same thing, and naturally all of them wanted to sell, sell, sell. But if all of them were interested only in selling, the scheme wouldn't work. Some markets had to be found. The answer was more and more colonies. Let the mother country be the heart of the empire and let every colony be a market for its goods. Colonies could serve another purpose also. There were some things every mother country had to buy. It would be sad if any gold left the mother country in payment for these purchased goods. But if the colonies could furnish the raw material that the mother country needed, then the gold need never leave the empire to make a rival mother country rich. The trick, then, was to build up a strong empire of mother country and colonies, an empire which was self-sufficient, one that did not have to depend on outside countries for anything.
2: And that does it for this week's edition of From the Vault. The series is produced by Brian DeShazer and Mark Torres, an executive produced by the Pacifica Radio Archives and your announcer, Brian DeShazer. This week's episode is written by Mark Torres. From the Vault is presented as part of the Pacifica Radio Archives Preservation and Access Project, which is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts and grants from the Grammy Foundation. Our theme music is by Kevin Drum Holliday.
1: And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Up next, it is Free Speech Radio News at 3.30.